As I was studying our passage this week, a familiar teaching from Jesus kept coming to my mind. It's a teaching that we studied earlier in Matthew's gospel when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is teaching us about the nature of his kingdom, he offers a warning to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And here's what he says. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter into it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those who find that narrow path that leads to life are few. Over the past several weeks, as we've come to the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, it seems like this teaching from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is becoming a reality. It's become clear to us by the help of the Spirit that Jesus is the gate through which we can find eternal life. Yet, the truth of that has been hard for the many to see. What most see in Jesus is a threat or just another interesting person to capture their attention for a fleeting moment. But Matthew wants us to see something different. He wants us to see something more in Jesus. He wants us to behold the unique glory of the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've seen over the past few weeks witnesses against Jesus. Three parties that have been mocking him and calling for his death. There were the Jewish leaders who had been conspiring against him, calling him a blasphemer and an insurrectionist to Pilate. They even make fun of him and mock him while he is dying upon the cross. Earlier in chapter 27, they say something to the effect of, yes, clearly this Jesus is the Son of God. Can't you see him here in all of his glory? The Jewish people have joined in the accusations and mockery of their leaders, demanding for Christ's death and wagging their heads at him as they pass by. Oh yes, this is our king, the king of the Jews. And even the soldiers, the soldiers responsible for his punishment, gave him a fake coronation, spitting on him, laughing at his claim to be greater than Caesar. The majority of people, Categorized by these three groups are actively rejecting Jesus and his claim to be the Son of God. His claim to be the only way to the Father. But in our passage today, Matthew lets us know that those aren't the only witnesses that we need to consider. Because he counters the foolish witness of these three parties with double the amounts both human and supernatural witnesses to help us see by God's grace that Jesus is all that he claimed to be. And remember, this is the whole point of Matthew's witness and writing his gospel to bring us to the point when we can proclaim with faith that Jesus is the greater son of David, that he is the greater son of Abraham, that Jesus is the promised king of the Jews and our Messiah, that he is the true meeting place between God and man, the spotless lamb who can take away the sins of the world. 
We've been building to this climactic moment for 27 chapters, and we come back to the central question of Matthew's gospel yet again. When it comes to who Christ is, which of the witnesses will we believe? Will we believe the witness of the people, the religious leaders, the soldiers who mock Jesus, dismiss him, and call for his death? Or will we believe the witness of Matthew, the witness that he offers today? Will we, by God's grace, see the glory of Christ in his death and die to ourselves in response? Let's turn our attention to Matthew 27 and look at verses 50 to 66. Here's what the word of God says. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day... That is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and then tell the people he is risen from the dead, because the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Our passage today begins with the death of Jesus. And it's a sad but necessary reminder for us that Jesus did actually die. He physically died. And in the most terrible way, as we saw Last week, he offers a loud cry of agony, another reminder to us that while he was dying, he was also suffering, taking our place, the, the judgment of God upon him for us. But Matthew also wants us to notice that even while this death is painful, Jesus is in full control here. Notice the language of verse 50. Matthew says that Jesus yields. His spirit. It's important for us to remember that his life was not taken, it was freely given. And in the week of this yielding, 
something wonderful happens. We're given two witnesses to help steer us toward a saving confession. Two witnesses to point us to that narrow path that leads to life. The Lord himself offers supernatural witness to the glory of his son. And perhaps a statement of judgment upon those who had killed him. But there's other witness as well. Something else wonderful is happening. In, in the midst of the many who cried for the destruction of Jesus, as others abandon him, there are a small number of faithful human witnesses, a remnant, who did not turn away from the narrow way of the cross. And together, the supernatural witness and the human witness They offer a testimony to the unique glory of Jesus and our need for the Spirit of God to help us to see it. The supernatural witness reminds us of the the work that his death accomplished for us. The human witness reminds us of the reality that the few who see what Jesus actually accomplished only see it by the grace of God at work in our life because the majority of people will not believe the witness. Let's consider each of these witnesses and what they tell us about Jesus, how they help us behold today as the people of God, his unique glory. We'll begin with the supernatural witness that is offered in our text. The supernatural witness to the glory of Christ. The death of Jesus, while surprising, was necessary. It was necessary for God's redemptive plan to be accomplished. And the supernatural witness that accompanies his death reminds us of all that it did accomplish. Why his death was necessary. These these three events are symbolic in a way. Yes, they really happened, but they also are filled with meaning for us to notice about what it is that God is doing for us in Christ. And here are the, the three supernatural events, supernatural witnesses that Matthew records. The curtain of the temple is torn, the earth shakes and the rocks are split, and the dead are raised. Firstly, the curtain of the temple is torn, and it's torn in two, from top to bottom. In the temple... There were two very large curtains that marked places of transition. One curtain blocked the entrance to the most holy place, which only the high priest could enter in once a year to offer sacrifice for the people. The other curtain separated the court of the Jews from the court of the Gentiles. Now, in all likelihood, the curtain we're talking about here in Matthew 27 was that most inner curtain, the one that guarded the Holy of Holies, because this is the the curtain that the book of Hebrews testifies about. But there are also other historical accounts that say the outer curtain was torn as well. So what's the significance of this moment? Why does the inner curtain being torn matter for us and help us see the glory of Christ? When my favorite books to read with our children is this book, The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. Have any of you heard of it? If you haven't read it yet, it's available in our book center by our welcome center. Not now because I have it, but after I finish with it, maybe you could (laughs) bring it home and read it to, to your kids. But it's an incredible thing that the author does. His name is Carl Lafferton to move through the redemptive narrative of scripture to help us see the significance of these symbols and the death of Jesus. He talks about how we were created to be with God. 
and how God created this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, for us to live with him, to enjoy relationship with him. But you all know that we ruined that because of our sin, our rejection of the rule and reign of God in our lives. We were forced to leave the garden. We were forced to leave the presence of God. We could no longer enjoy it because of our sin. And there's a refrain that the author uses over and over to reinforce this truth that because of our sin, we can't go in. Look to your neighbor and say that. Because of our sin, we can't go in. And then he tells us as he moves through the narrative of Scripture how two guardian angels were placed outside of the garden as a, a sort of keep out sign to remind us of what our sin costs, but also to warn us of the danger of stepping back into the presence of God with our sin unaccounted for. Later, he talks about the temple and how the temple was built and how God promised that his spirit would take up residence inside the temple. But even there, there was a restriction. Before the place where his presence would reside, that most holy place, there was a curtain that God directed to be hung. And upon that curtain were guardian angels pictured to remind us of the garden. It was that same keep out sign to tell the people of God then that because of our sin, we can't go in. It was true in the garden. Now it is true in the temple. But when Jesus died and the curtain tore, something changed. It was as if God was removing the keep out sign. Here's how the book speaks of this. On the cross, Jesus took our sin all the bad things we do, all the sad things they cause. Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God had ripped up that keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. Because Jesus died, we can go in, friends. Because of the death of Christ, because what he accomplished on the cross, we have access once again to the presence of God. And not just one people, because the other curtains tear in two, all people who step into the sacrifice of Jesus. We see affirmed here yet again that Jesus is the true meeting place between God and man just as he said. In him, only in him, can we have fellowship with our creator as we were created to. There's no more need for sacrifice. There's no more need for a temple because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. The veil is torn. It was finished upon the cross. Secondly, the earth shakes and the rocks are split. The curtain wasn't the only thing that split. The earth and rocks joined in as well. Now, earthquakes were a common symbol in the Old Testament for God's activity to, to display his power and on occasion, his judgment. We see that in Judges 5, 2 Samuel 22, Isaiah 2, Joel 3, just to name a few. Probably both of those intentions are on display here. There's a desire to display the power of God, but also the judgment of God. Jesus' spirit is yielded. And in that moment, when he yields his spirit, something powerful happens. A seismic shift in redemptive history takes place, and the earth is testifying to that reality. 
there's a shaking happening. And God is reminding us of a number of things as he shakes the ground at the moment of Jesus's death. He's declaring to us a visible reminder that this earth is frail. And one day it will come under the judgment of King Jesus. He's also reminding us that if we're not in Christ, we will be judged along with the earth. But he's also pointing us to a greater kingdom, a kingdom that is greater than the kingdom of this world that will not be shaken because it is built on a greater foundation, the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how the author of Hebrews testifies to this in Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 29. Listen to this. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, not a word of condemnation, but a word of freedom and victory. Praise be to God. See that you don't refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. This this earthquake is a display of God's power, but it's also a warning to, to recognize what it is that he is doing in Christ and take advantage in the power of the spirit of what it is that God is doing in Jesus. At that time, his voice shook the earth. This is verse 26. But now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If we are in Christ, if we are a part of his kingdom, we will be part of a kingdom that will not shift, it will not shake, because it is on the the most solid ground possible. It's built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the supernatural witness that we're called to consider is that the dead are raised. This final supernatural sign is that some, we don't know how many, some of the faithful generations from the past are raised when Jesus is raised. Now Matthew is incorporating a little bit of future events here to show us the full effect of the death of Jesus, the death that brings death to death. The ground shifts and the rocks split. Now, as you may know, and we saw in the burial of Jesus, most people were buried in caves at this time, and caves were secured by rocks so that when these rocks split, the tombs are opened. And they prepared for something really incredible to happen with the resurrection of Jesus, a greater resurrection. You see, the death of Christ represents the death of death. And while we may still experience physical death, that may still be a reality for us, the death of relationship, the spiritual death of judgment, no longer awaits those who are in Christ. Rather, what awaits us is abundant resurrection life. Death has lost 
its victory. Listen to the words, the testimony of Jesus himself in Revelation 1, verse 18. I am the living one, not the dead one, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Listen to this testimony from the Apostle Paul building upon the significance of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. This perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written and that is guaranteed by the work of Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death through Jesus. We can celebrate that even today because the death of Jesus and his resurrection are a unified event. Are you telling me, Jared? That even though it's Palm Sunday, we can celebrate Easter on Palm Sunday? You bet. Every day of our life, we should be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. What an incredible series of events. What a gift God has given us in the witness of these events. to The power, the power on display, the work of God on display in Christ. To help us behold the glory of the Son. But they are not the only witnesses offered. Accompanying this supernatural witness is a a perhaps more humble witness, a series of human witnesses. And while they may not carry the same spectacle, they are no less wonderful, as they also point us to that narrow way that only a few will find, as they also point us to the glory of Jesus. Let's consider the human witnesses. Firstly, There's the witness of the centurion and the guards in verse 54. Since the execution of Jesus was an act of the Roman government, a centurion and guards were assigned to make sure that everything went as planned. Some of the soldiers, as we know, loved, delighted in the violence of participating in these crucifixions. They even laughed and mocked those crucified as they did with Jesus and the The parting gift was they got to take some of the clothes of those crucified with them. These men must have participated in countless crucifixions, hundreds, thousands of crucifixions. They must have all run together at some point, except for this one. There was something different about the crucifixion of Jesus because while he's dying, he is actively showing love and care For those around him, he's taking care of his mom. He's proclaiming to those who are jeering at him, nailing his hands to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And more than that, if the, if the witness of Jesus himself wasn't enough, something divine happens around them that grabs their attention. So by God's grace, they begin to piece some of these things together and they think maybe there was something to what Jesus was saying. Maybe the one true God is trying to tell us that we just murdered his son. There's a moment of revelation here brought about by the Lord. What he beheld during the death of Jesus led him to proclaim that Jesus was truly the son of the living God. And what a, what a testimony. What a transformation to counter the, the mocking, the false testimony of those soldiers we looked at earlier. Now, we don't fully know what the soldiers meant here in their proclamation, but we do know the fullness of that confession for us because we have an even greater testimony at our disposal to the power of God in Jesus. And the question that we must wrestle with, that we've been wrestling with in the study of Matthew, but even today as we consider our Easter season is, have we recognized like the centurion, have we recognized like these soldiers around him that Jesus is the son? the true son of God. There's another human witness, the witness of the faithful women. We see them in verses 56 and 61. All throughout the account of the death of Christ, all throughout the account of his burial, Matthew tells us that there are a group of faithful women who stay with Jesus. The disciples have largely abandoned Christ The people of God are reveling in his death, but there are some women who remain. There are three mentioned directly in our text. There's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and then another woman named Salome, who's the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. We also know from other accounts that Mary the mother of Jesus is there. So it's likely if your name was Mary, you were somewhere around the cross. (laughs) Many of these women were also among the first witnesses of Christ's resurrection because they were where they were supposed to be. They were faithful to Jesus to the end and God rewards them in being the first to behold him in his glory. They, in fact, are sent to proclaim to the other disciples who are trembling in fear still the good news that Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty. And it serves as a reminder to us of the reach of the work of Christ. You know, women were marginalized in ancient society. They, they weren't allowed to be official disciples of the rabbis, but this moment is a reminder to us that the work of Jesus is for all people, all kinds of people, not just the powerful, not just men of a certain station. The work of Jesus here is a work for all, for all. And then finally, The final human witness is the witness of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. And what's interesting is that even though he's part of this council that ruled to convict Jesus and put him to death, the Bible says from Mark's gospel that Joseph had been actively looking, seeking out the kingdom of God and had been brought to Jesus and was being discipled by Jesus, to Matthew's testimony. This man sees something in Jesus that many of his counterparts, both on the council and among the disciples, that they do not. And even though it could be costly, 
even though it was likely very costly, financially, socially, religiously, Joseph boldly approaches Pilate, asks for the body of Jesus, and buries him in his own personal tomb. Why on earth would he do this? Why would he risk everything that he's earned on this earth to bury a guy who's just been crucified? Because Joseph believed. Joseph believed that Jesus was the son of God, that he was the king of the kingdom, and he was willing to sacrifice what others would not. Other elders, chief priests, disciples, all for the sake of being faithful to God. He was willing to forsake this world in order to honor Jesus. He was able to see the narrow way that leads to life and stay on it. Keep his eyes on Christ even when it was difficult. These are powerful human stories. A reminder to us that while not everyone will see what we see in Jesus, some will. And we, who by God's grace have been able to behold the glory of Christ even in his death, we must remember that it's only by God's grace that we do so and we must remain faithful. When the world around us is clamoring for us to join in the rejection of the Son, we must remain faithful because there's still a group at work in our text trying to minimize the reach of Christ's work, trying to make sure that what he says does not take place. And we see this in verses 62 to 66. The chief priests and Pharisees are still actively working. There are still people on that broad way on that wide way to destruction. And what's interesting is they actually listened to what Jesus said and they're worried about it because everything's happening just like he said. And so they come to Pilate and said, hey, this imposter, he said after three days, he's gonna rise again. And there's no way that's gonna happen, but it's possible that his disciples could go in there, sneak in there in the middle of the night get rid of him, take his body out, and then tell everybody that he rose from the dead. So, hey, can we just be sure none of this is gonna happen and put some guards out there? Pilate says, do what you want to. And so they do. They secure the tomb. They're, they're trying to take steps to make sure that what Jesus promised doesn't take place. But here's the problem. When Jesus promises something, he is always faithful to that promise. And friends, there's no power on this earth that could stop the power coming out of that grave in three days. So here's the question, church. The question we've been building toward through our study of Matthew's gospel, he's asked us several times, which witness will we believe? The witness of those who reject Jesus or the manifold witness of our text today? The supernatural witness given by God himself to tell us, hey, Everything I promised is happening in him, in Jesus. I, you get access to me through the Son, only through him. I'm building a kingdom that won't be shaken, and you can be a part of that in him. I'm gonna overcome death, sin, and death. You can be a part of that in him. 
This may not look very glorious, but I'm telling you, the glory of Jesus on the cross is unparalleled. We believe the witness of the humans who remained faithful even when it was difficult because by God's grace, they saw the unique glory of Jesus on the cross. The Bible is offering us a decision. The word is offering us a decision. In which camp will we be? Will we go down the road that's easy? The road that's wide? The road that the majority will walk down but will lead to our destruction? Or will we see the gate in Jesus? And when we walk through that gate toward the path that may be hard, but it leads to eternal life. Let me give you some questions to think about today as we think about how to respond to our text today. Some questions that I hope that you will put before the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you discern and your heart of hearts to lead you into greater faithfulness. Firstly, would you hear what Jesus promised and believe? Think about this. Now, it's said here in a mocking way, but Jesus did say this in verse 63. After three days, I will rise. After three days, I will bring about victory over sin and death. After three days, I will bring to completion all that I began, offering you a way to the Father, offering you a way to eternal life, offering you to a way of security in me. Will you believe him? Will you believe in the testimony of Jesus? Because we're here to tell you that three days later, what he promised came true. He's not in the grave. He is alive. Would you believe? Would you even now, if you've never, ask the Spirit to help you believe what you are hearing? Here's what Christ is offering. Salvation through his death. Life through his resurrection. It is yours if you are in him. Would you step into him today? In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to encourage you to help answer any questions you may have to give your life to Jesus. Now, for those of you who are in Christ, let me offer you a couple of questions. Firstly, would you give thanks today for the grace of God? There are some people in our text today who heard the word of God and did not believe. In fact, they conspired against Jesus. But there are some, fewer, who heard the word of God and with the Spirit's help believed. I just want to remind you today, church family, if you are sitting here today as a believer in Jesus, as part of this church, it is because by God's grace, you heard the word of God and with the Spirit's help believed. It is the grace of God that we are on the narrow path leading to eternal life. Can we give thanks to the Father for that today? And then finally, would you join the witness? Would you be a witness yourself? Listen, isn't it incredible? The encouragement, the testimony that God can offer through one, two, or three witnesses. Yes, there are fewer people in our text today that are recognizing the glory of Christ, but there is power in their witness. Can you imagine if all of us in this room were to rise up 
as these did, even when it was costly to declare the glory of Christ? What better opportunity do we have, church, than the week that we're about to step into of Easter? We're all talking about it. Why we celebrate Easter. Let's not make much of eggs. Let's not make much of bunnies. Let's not make much of the NCAA tournament, even though LSU's playing for the national championship today. Let's not make much of Augusta National next week in the Masters. Friends, let's make much of Jesus. Because he is worthy of our witness. He is worthy of us declaring, hey, look to the cross and see his glory. He died for you so that we can live in him. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Consider how to respond to these questions or other questions that the word and the spirit have brought to your mind today. Do you know Jesus? Are you still separated from God because of your sin? You can't go in? Or have you stepped into Jesus in the the torn veil to be restored to right relationship with God? If you haven't come today, let us pray with you. For those who have, would you rejoice in the grace of God shown to you today? That you heard and believed in the power of the Spirit and that you can look at the cross and not see the end, but only the beginning. That you can look at the cross and see this unusual glory, unparalleled, unique glory being displayed through the Son. And would you ask for God's help to be a witness? Maybe there's someone that's coming to your mind right now that the Holy Spirit's prompting, hey, that person at work, that person in your neighborhood, that person in your family, that person at your kid's gymnastics class that you've been thinking about and praying about, hey, this is the week to have that conversation to say, hey, what are you doing this Easter? Are you celebrating? Where do you go to church? Do you wanna come to church with me? And come hear the, the real reason for the season. And that is that Jesus is alive. God, would you use us as you see fit? Help us to be more faithful as a people because of our time before your word today. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.